Thank you guys. Good to see everybody. I didn't mean to seem a little unfriendly during the welcome. We've had a couple of kids around the house sick during the week, and some things are better just not to share. Figured it'd be better to hold off on some things there. But I want to talk this morning on a section of Scripture as we've been moving our way through First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 18 this morning. And I entitled this message, Knowing... God's will. One of the most interesting places I have been is in a cemetery. There's something fascinating as you walk through a cemetery and as you look at the graves and you see uh, different gravestones and the epitaphs. And what's most interesting to me, uh, you know, you have the two dates. You know, the date they're born and the date that they died. But what really catches my attention is the dash in between the two dates. Because you stop and you think about that dash, and that dash represents a life. What must life have been like for that person? Some of the dates uh, that the dash separates are many years. Sometimes it's just a few months. And you, you think about the life, and, and as, you, as you think about God's will... Guys, our, our past sins are forgiven. We're guaranteed a hope in heaven after what we know of this life. But the tough part in God's will is the dash. It's the life that now we struggle with here as we seek God's help and as we need God's help. And, and it's not easy. We know we have God's Word. We know we have other people who love the Lord and we have circumstances and all these different things that help us be able to determine and get a grasp on God's will. But still, sometimes it's really difficult to discern God's will. Remember I heard Chuck Swindoll one time say, yeah, you can know God's will after the fact. And many times that's the way you really catch it is you're able to look back and say, oh yeah, God was working there. Uh, you know, there's different methods. Some people are almost hazardous with the Bible. It's like, you know, you heard one guy said the way he'd find God's will, he'd open up the Bible and he'd read a verse and that was God's will for the day. So, you know, he opened up the Bible one day and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. He said, man, I don't like that one. So he opened up his Bible again and this time it said, go and do likewise. So that, that can be a dangerous strategy. Other people are always looking for a sign. God, give me a physical sign, something I can see, something I can understand. And I read about a farmer, and he, he was working out in his field one day. He looked up in the sky, and the clouds, there was a big P and a big C. It was so clear to him as he looked at the clouds, P, C. And he, was, he thought in his mind, that means preach Christ. And so he left his fields, he left his farm, and he began to preach in churches. And he did it with a passion. All the problem was, he wasn't any good at it. And, and everybody wanted to support him, but it just wasn't, wasn't there. So finally a brother came up to him and he said, Look, brother, he said, I love you, but I've been thinking about that PC. And don't you think maybe it meant plant corn <laughs> instead of preach Christ? You know, this morning, as we look at these few verses that speak about God's will, uh, there are three types of sins. I don't know if you've heard this analogy, but I've always liked it. So the way we can keep up with sin is the COD. Remember COD? We'd say cash on delivery. But it's the sins of commission. That's the stuff we do. 
Then there's the sins of omission, which is the stuff we don't do we should. And then there are the sins of disposition, which is, that, that speaks of our attitudes, guys. This section of Scripture here deals more with the attitude of the heart, the disposition. What, what's going on inside of you? How you approach life. Uh, as someone has said, your attitude determines your altitude. And we're going to look at attitude this morning uh, at some one-liners that are in the section of Scripture. Uh, before we read the Scripture this morning, I, I had ran across this father's favorite sayings. Uh, there's a whole bunch of these little kids that shared their dad's favorite sayings. I just want to read a few of them. Uh, this is from Joe Kazmbeck's dad. The man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. I love that. Never underestimate the power of human stupidity. That's Rich Constant's dad. Uh, wherever you are in life, first make friends with a cook. That's Bill Lewis's dad. Uh, the second time you get kicked in the head by a mule, it's not a learning experience. Abdoja. Never buy anything that eats. Neil Basher's dad. I thought that was interesting. You need to do what you have to do before you can do what you want to do. Read Caster's dad. That's some great advice. Uh, successful people make a habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. Isn't that good? You have to eat an elephant in small bites. The one who quits last wins. You have to stick to it. Do you know what happened when I found out all the answers? They changed all the questions. Felt like that sometimes. And two more. One, the golden rule. The guy who's got the gold makes the rules. And the last one here, if everybody else is doing it, it's probably wrong. Well, let's look. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to ask when you find that to stand in God's honor as I want to read the text. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, as we think about our own dispositions, God, our own attitudes, Lord, may they be marked by the presence of Jesus Christ. And as we look at these Scriptures today, these series of one-liners, God, that speak of our disposition. Uh, Father, speak to our hearts, God. Help us do a self-checkup spiritually to make sure that our dispositions are in correct order, God. We just come to You. We, we need to hear from You, Lord. Father, speak to our hearts. Thank You for this opportunity to be together. Father, uh, just ask for your anointing and your presence to be evident, Master. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, this first one we want to examine, it says, Be joyful always. We live in a culture that's often not marked by joy. I read this week that over um, 8 million Americans have recently thought about suicide. And that suicide is the third leading cause of death among teenagers in the United States. There are a lot of people who are depressed, who feel as if there is no sense of hope. 
where joy seems to be missing. But that's not to mark God's people. That doesn't mean that joy is not like some kind of adrenaline rush where you know you, you always look like you've just been shot out of a cannon with the big smile. But it's a confident peace that regardless of what you face, you are not alone. That God is there with you. That God is walking with you. That He knows your struggle. And that He will see you through that struggle. Paul was a guy, as we uh, read in many of his letters, he didn't have the soft, cushy faith. He faced some tough times. I want to read to you, this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as he talks about some of the tough times he faced. He says, Rather as servants of God, this is verse 4, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. And there are a lot of joy stealers that are out there. But I think what Paul is sharing here in this section of Scripture is, man, joy is not dependent on the outward circumstances. It is an outward reaction that comes from an inward choice. You have to make a choice in your heart that, God, I know you're there. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to lean on you. And I'm going to look for you instead of look at what I'm facing. That may be tough. And, and so joy is something that kind of comes out of us as we make that decision to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. That's uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. I love that in the Old Living Bible. Paraphrase. It says, Let Him have all your worries and cares for He is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. That's, that's our God. We can, we can trust Him. We can place confidence in Him because He does love us. The way we look at our world certainly affects the way we are seen and the witness that we are. Um, I read about a couple years ago that had stopped at a self-service gas station. You can't hardly find those anymore. And uh, the man said, I want you to clean my windshield. So the guy came out and he cleaned the windshield. And the man said, it's not clean. Clean it again. So he cleaned it again. And this time he was really, the guy was really angry. So he got out of his car and he said, do you not know how to clean a windshield? That is... A filthy windshield. I don't know what you used, but it's not clean at all. So his wife got out of the car, looked a little perplexed, grabbed the guy's glasses, cleaned them, put them back on his face, and voila, the windshield was clean. 
He looked at the windshield as if it was dirty, but in reality, it wasn't the windshield. It was his glasses. It was the way he was looking at the world. The way that we look at the world, guys, it affects our perception and what we see. And and when God speaks to our hearts through Paul here, he says, be joyful always. He's saying, see the world through the fact that God loves you and that he hasn't forgotten you. And guys, that he is at work and that you can trust him. I've always been fascinated by this account here in Acts 16. Uh, listen to this again. This starts at Acts 16.22. that talks about this kind of sight. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I like to think that when Paul and Silas were singing, God was just kind of tapping his foot. Say, go for it, guys. Worship me. Love me. Says the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. Guys, what an incredible witness it is when everything's going wrong and you're able to see God. What an incredible witness. These guys, Paul and Silas, they had been beaten. Their privileges had been taken away. They're sitting in this jail and yet they're singing praises to God. They still know they're not abandoned. And what an impact it made. God set them free, but He also set this jailer free because this jailer was able to see the attitude of these guys. He was able to see how they trusted God, how they loved God, and how God delivered them. And it made the difference. It made the impact in their lives. And it makes an impact when we as God people have a confident trust in Him through the stuff that we go through. It makes a difference. You know, I think I've told you guys this before, but uh, one of the famous preachers of old, a Baptist guy named Charles Spurgeon, um, evidently he had a lot of fun in the pulpit. He laughed a lot. He carried on. And, and some people in his church were much more serious about following God. I guess had that, you know, when you come to God's house, you know, you, you set apart and you're holy. And, and, and uh, Spurgeon, he would laugh and... He would make, you know, he just had a good time. And so this lady said, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, said, you just have way too much fun in church. You, you should treat the pulpit as more of a, a holy, set-apart place. And he just looked at her with his eyes twinkling. He said, he said, uh, dear lady, he said, you'd be so proud of me if you knew how much I hold back. We should enjoy God. Because he enjoys us. Alright, number two here. Notice what it says. Secondly, not only to be joyful always, but to pray continually. Our outlook 
is affected by our uplook. We can come to God in prayer. And he says, with anything, all the time, to pray continually. Our, our lives need to be marked by uh, an understanding that God is always there. He always loves us, and nothing is too trivial for our dad. Our Heavenly Father has such a love for us that He wants to hear everything and He wants to help us in all things and that He cares about even the what may seem insignificant. He cares and that we can come to Him and that we can pray to Him and to keep praying. He doesn't weary of our praying. Matter of fact, uh, you may be familiar with this parable Jesus told in Luke 18 about a widow who was persistent. Uh, this is Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What's he saying here? He's saying, you know, God's not like some unjust judge that doesn't care about you, that doesn't want to hear from you. He does care, and he does want to be involved. He does want to respond. He says, so pray. Don't give up. Don't push God aside. Uh, Cry out to him. Be honest before him. Uh, Speak your heart before the Lord. It matters. Prayer, Prayer is so vital. Prayer is so important. I love Oswald. Uh, Chambers saying, he said, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Guys, we can do a lot by ourselves, but nothing compared to what God can do. So we need to be a people of prayer. And and, and this marks our life, our our dispositions, how people see us and, and just how we are if we're a people of prayer. Who are marked by prayer. God help me. There's nothing, you know, too little asking for. God just help me. Get used to that phrase, God help me. It's good to incorporate into our lives for certain. There's a quote from A.B. Simpson on prayer. Prayer is the link that connects us with God. It is the bridge that spans every gulf and bears us over every abyss of danger or of need. How significant is this picture of the New Testament church? Peter in prison, the Jews triumphant, Herod supreme, the arena of martyrdom awaiting the dawning of the morning. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And what is the sequel? The prison open, the apostle free, the Jews baffled, the wicked king divinely smitten, the word of God rolling on in greater victory. Do we know the power of our supernatural weapon? Do we dare to use it with the authority of a faith that commands as well as asks? God grant us holy audacity and divine confidence. He is not wanting great men. He is wanting men that will dare to prove the greatness of their God. I love that last night line. He's not wanting great men. He is wanting men who will prove the greatness of their God. 
Our God is great. And He wants, He wants the attention. He wants to be exalted. He, he wants others to see Him. He wants us to pray, to mark our lives. All right, last phrase here, last one-liner that we want to look at here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. And it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As you look through the Old Testament, you know, there are the offerings. One of the offerings that were given to the Lord was a thank offering. Early on through the Scriptures, it's obvious that God wants us to have an attitude of gratitude. We're we're to be a thankful people. Uh, As you look at the Psalms, many times it says, Give thanks to God. And then uh, in Paul's letters and throughout the New Testament, he says, I'm thankful to God for you. He talks about giving thanks unto the Lord. It needs to be a part of our lives. We have a day we set aside as thanksgiving. And as you look at those early pilgrims that arrived, that first winter was so brutal that there were seven more graves dug than there were homes built. Because death was everywhere. But yet, they didn't have a day of death to celebrate. They had a day of thanksgiving to celebrate. I think it's important here in this text too. It says to give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. In all circumstances. Why? Because God is in everything we face. And we can be thankful that He's there in everything that we face. One of my favorite stories uh, deals with Corey Ten Boom. If you guys are not familiar with the story of Corey Ten Boom, I encourage you to read The Hiding Place, any of the books that speak about Corey and her family. They housed Jews during uh, World War II when uh, many were being taken away and put in concentration camps. They would keep them in their homes, try to protect them, and uh, they ended up themselves in a concentration camp. And one of the places where they went to, it was tough. And um, Betsy and, and Corey were seeking to live for the Lord, but Corey wasn't so sure about giving thanks for this concentration camp they were in. It was bad enough that uh, it was dirty and there was hardly any food there. But what really got Corey was the infestation of fleas. She didn't like fleas or being continually bitten by them. And so she talked to her sister and uh, she said, to Betsy, how can we possibly survive here? And she pointed to this scripture here in First Thessalonians five eighteen. It says, "Give thanks in all circumstances." We have to give thanks in this circumstance, Corey. And uh, Betsy said that we can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Corey writes, "Oh yes, Lord Jesus." such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. 
Yes, said Betsy, thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, many more will hear the Bible. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuff, packed, suffocating crowd. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely. For the fleas and... For the fleas! Betsy, that's just too much. There's no way even God can expect me to be grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy quoted. It doesn't say just in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God's put us. And so we stood between two piers and bunks and gave thanks for fleas. By this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. It goes on in, in here and it talks about something amazing happened. In the midst of that suffering, in the midst of those ornery fleas, the ladies grew close together. And they would come and they would listen to the Bible and they would pray together. And, and they became close. And what was most amazing was not did they only hear the Scripture, but their lives began to be changed. Where once there was bickering and, and they were mean to each other and hateful, they became kind and loving to one another and patient with one another. And God began working with him so that it was in the midst of the crazy circumstances, it was almost like a heaven on earth because of the closeness that they shared with one another. Uh, just just amazing. I'm going to read this last paragraph of this. It says, uh, Normally these barracks had surprise inspections where their precious Bible that brought so much light and strength would normally have been seized Miraculously, they never had such inspections. Much later, they found out it was because their barracks were so flea-infested that the guards dared not enter. The fleas allowed them to have God's word for their strength and their hope. Upon hearing this, Corey very humbly knelt and thanked God for the fleas. What are the fleas in your life? You know, guys, we need to always remember that no matter what we do, we're being watched. We're being watched by God. Sometimes we forget that. God always sees us. But we're also being watched by other people who need to see Jesus. And do they see Jesus when they watch me? What a good question. God, when people watch me, do they see Jesus? You see, our Father's always watching us and others are watching us. And our disposition, our attitude is so critical in how God is able to show Himself in our lives. I want to close with this quote from uh, Scottish theologian John Bailey who taught at Edinburgh University. He made it a practice before he would lecture uh, in his seminary class to say these words. We must remember in discussing God that we cannot talk about Him without His hearing every word we say. We may be able to talk about others behind their backs, but God is everywhere, yes, even in this classroom. Therefore, in all our discussions, we must be aware of His infinite presence and talk about Him, as it were, before His face. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, uh, we want to do an honest evaluation of our dispositions, Lord. Is there joy? 
spirit of prayer? Are we marked as a thankful people? You know the truth, Master. Because you watch. You're here. We can't hide from you. I pray this morning that your spirit might be free to probe our hearts if we need to come to this altar and to pray then it's open, God, may we come. If we need to come before the church family and and uh, to, to pray this morning with the pastor and then to share with God's folk uh, about what you're doing, then God, bring us. Lord, this is a time before you. It's a time of worship. It's a time to respond. God, I just pray that we might do that. There may be one here that needs to bow the heart and say, Jesus, I have never trusted you for salvation. I've never asked you to forgive me, to live in my heart and to make me new. This is the time. Maybe this is the moment. And I, God, I pray that that person would respond now, would, would just pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin, live in my heart, make me new. And, and Father, that that person would come in obedience before your people, God. What do you want to do this morning, Lord, as we think of our attitudes, God? Have your way in this time that's holy before you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.